Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, John. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, church. Welcome to South Valley. Whether you're here uh, in person or online, we're excited that you're here this morning. My name is Seth Kurtz. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, one of the things that I do here actually is I help to facilitate and uh, walk people through the baptism process and and get that going. And uh, one of the really cool testimonies about baptism is, is that we all are broken, right? And we're all in need of a Savior. We all fall short. And, uh, and I want you guys to know that your pastors are no exception to this rule. Um, I want to let you know that I had told Candace and her team who help with the baptisms that, hey, we only have baptism second service this morning. And it wasn't until I got here that I realized my mistake. And so I say this because her team absolutely crushed it this morning. Can we give it up for Candace and her team and for pivoting on the fly? for picking up the ball that I dropped. Uh, thank you so much, Candace. Thank you, all of you. Uh, I, I appreciate all of you. And, uh, and know that your pastors are also broken. We also make mistakes. So, um, but I am glad that you're here this morning. We are kicking off a brand new sermon series this morning called Theology 101. And I don't want that to sound scary to you, but I am particularly excited about this one because I am uh, I'm what I refer to myself affectionately as a card-carrying Bible nerd, right? Um, that's, that's what I feel myself to be, and, uh, and I love it when I can meet other people who uh, consider themselves card-carrying Bible nerds, and we can just nerd, nerd out about stuff about the Bible, and it's super fun. And, but, but I don't want this to be too intimidating because we're going to be looking at some of the basics, right? And, and ultimately, we want to bring you along on this in a way that we can have a church of everyday theologians, right, of people who, when we think theology, this is, this is the study of God, right? And we come to church, we live our lives as Christians on the daily in pursuit of God and in pursuit of getting to know Him better. So uh, this is going to be a really exciting series. I'm very excited about it. And for those of you who have gotten to know me a little bit, you would know that uh, beyond just being a card-carrying Bible nerd, I am also what some people would refer to as an Apple fanboy, and uh, this has nothing to do with the fruits. Um, those aren't that great anyway. I mean, fruits basically just like sweet vegetables. And if you're going to be sweet, just be candy. So um, it's not that great. But anyway, see, I, I'm talking about like the tech company, right? And so I'm the kind of guy that when Apple holds one of their big events, like, like one of their big annual events where they're announcing new products and everything, I'm the kind of guy where I'm like, hey, can I get that day off from work? And like, I'm making a whole event out of it at home. I'm nerding out. My wife and I make a date out of it. It's super weird, but, but I love it. I'm all about that. Now, even beyond their, their actual hardware products, right? When they announce a new iPhone or whatever, like that's cool, but it, they're software events. I'm very alone on this. That is okay. I love this stuff. And so, so let me explain why though, because this is really important to me, okay? It's important because when I look through history books 
at times like the Industrial Revolution and how manufacturing just exploded on the scene in such a short span of time, it makes me think of now, right? I I genuinely believe that in the future, this era will be written about in history books as the technological revolution. So think about it this way. In 2006, okay, this was not that long ago. In 2006, the iPhone did not yet exist at all, right? Some of us are carrying around like our iPhone 13 whatevers, and 2006 didn't exist at all, right? It wasn't an option. People, if they were typing on their phones to text or something like that, they still had like physical keyboards on their phones that they were typing on. I know, right? Weird. Uh, Multi-touch on your phone, you know, being able to use two fingers at the same time, nope, that's a pipe dream, right? Doesn't exist. Being able to use a dedicated internet browser on your phone, like, no, the internet's what keeps you, or the phone is what keeps you off of the internet, right? All of this stuff was, was just an absolute pipe dream. And then fast forward to now, and it really is astounding just how much progress we've made. And that's why I do believe that this era will be in history books. Now, if you believed not just what I believe, but if you believed it how I believe it, then I think you would also be a little more intrigued by this, right? You'd you'd be a little more fascinated by these things. And, And I say all of this not to say anything about technology, but I say it to say something about belief, See, I've been working on this new discipleship track, discipleship track for our church to, to grow deep, meaningful uh, disciples, and that happens through, I believe, three categories, right? We love like Jesus loved, we live like Jesus lived, and yet before either of those things can happen, we believe like Jesus believed. So as we're kicking off this new series We're going to talk today about Scripture, about the Bible, and I want you to recognize that we take this seriously because Jesus took it seriously, right? My goal is that even if today we're not going to be looking at uh, Jesus' exact words on what Scripture is and what he thought about Scripture, we'll be looking into the Bible on it still, and my goal would be that uh, you could still learn to believe what Jesus believed, but that you could also learn to believe how Jesus believed, about Scripture. And see, I'm, I'm still working through this, but I've found myself constantly repeating a particular phrase. I've, I've shared it with the youth group. I've shared it with friends. I've shared it with people who I've counseled. But I've, I've found myself saying this enough, it's almost becoming a sort of a motto. And this is what it is. I believe that Jesus is the most interesting man in all of history. I believe that the Bible is the most interesting text in all of antiquity. And if I could help you to learn to love them at least as much as I do, then I feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose here on earth. And so that's what we're going to be doing just a little bit this morning. If if I could take you a little bit on a journey to look and view Scripture just a little bit differently, to see it through the eyes of Jesus, and to fall in love with it just a little bit more, That's exactly what we want to accomplish. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in the New Testament. We're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're just going to look at a couple verses here. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles, we will have the words up on the screens for you. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, and in verse 16, Paul, who's an apostle of Jesus, he's writing this letter to Timothy, and he tells him this. He says, 
all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Now, I want to focus on that phrase, God breathed, for a second. See, if we're, if we're going to try to understand what this text is among all other ancient and modern texts all around the world, we have to understand that it's this phrase that sets it apart from the rest. See, the, the word here that Paul uses, he combines a couple words together. He's really good at doing this, just taking words out of nowhere and sandwiching them together and saying, this is a new word, deal with it, right? And so he uses the word theonoustos, right, which, which comes from the Greek word theo, which means God, and pneuma, which means spirit or breath. And so this means that the words in this text were breathed out by God. Now, interestingly, do we remember what else was breathed out by God? Life. Life was breathed out by God. Genesis tells us that God breathed into Adam and made him a living soul. See, I need you to understand that this text is active and it's alive. It works us. It shapes us. It molds us. And it's through the power of the, it works through the power of the Holy Spirit to radically transform lives and restore creation back to God. I mean, this is, this is an intense book, right? This isn't just your typical book. Now, a couple things to know about the Bible. I want to lay down some groundwork, right, for us to have a little bit of perspective on this. Uh, first, just I want to give you a short definition of what the Bible is. The Bible is a historical story about God and his imminent involvement with the world he made. Okay, the Bible is a historical story about God and his imminent involvement with the world he made. That's your short definition. That's, that's what the Bible is, and that's the lens through which we should be viewing it as we read it. Now, here are some other uh, quick facts for you. The Bible is a collection of 66 books. Right? It's not just one big book. It's a collection of 66 books. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, and in what we call the New Testament, there are another 27 books. Now, the Bible was written uh, by over 40 different authors, over a period of about 1,500 years, and it was written in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. You might also see the Bible referred to as the Scripture or the Scriptures, uh, the Word of God. Um, you may see the Old Testament referred to as uh, the Hebrew Bible, but all of these are referring to what we have now, what we know as the Bible, right? That's all one and the same. Now, here's why it's so important for you to know these things. When we talk about how the Word of God is inspired by God, we have to understand what that means and how it works. So, for instance, God did not think, you know what, I, I need to know these, I need these people to know something, grabs a lightning bolt, throws it down, zaps somebody, suddenly this person is a robot and writes all the exact words God wants them to write, and then he like wakes up from this weird dream and is like, whoa, what happened? Right, that wasn't, that didn't happen, right? That's why we use the word inspiration, See, these, these men wrote through their culture, through their life experience, through what they had lived, to the people around whom they were living, but they did it all as being directed and guided by the Holy Spirit. All of that happened as they wrote. Now, two more quick notes on the Bible uh, that may seem a little odd, but, but walk with me. We'll make it make sense. 
Number one, this is very important for us to know, the Bible was not written to us. The Bible wasn't written to us. Now, this is important because we have to understand that when guys like Paul, who wrote the text where we started, he wrote in the first chapter the words, to Timothy, right? Um, I don't know, maybe you're in here this morning, your name is Timothy. I don't think you've been around long enough for this to have been addressed to you. This was probably a different Timothy, if we're being honest, right? But Paul wrote this to Timothy. It was something for the context of Timothy, something that, that would have been for, to him and for him. However, the Bible was written for us. The Bible was written for all of us. There are timeless principles that we can and should pull from the Bible, and that is due to the fact that it is God-breathed. So that's the first one. The second one works right off of this, and it's this principle. Never read a Bible verse, okay? Never read a Bible verse. Now let me explain. This partners right with that last point. The purpose of never reading a Bible verse is that there's always context, right? There's always context. We don't get to just pick and choose verses and make them say whatever we want, right? Don't read just a verse. Read the whole section. Find out what the author's actually trying to communicate. See, I see people frequently quote uh, Jeremiah 29 11. Some of you may even have it on a coffee mug or something like that. And, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's great, right? The problem is Jeremiah didn't write that to us. There are principles that we can pull from it. But when we fail to recognize who wrote it, to whom he wrote, and the context around the writing, we miss the whole point. Right, the verse right before points out that, that the people of God are about to go into Babylonian captivity, which does not sound as great as verse 11, right? And, and it's, Jeremiah is telling them it's going to be awful, right? They're going to suffer, they're going to be oppressed, their temple's going to be destroyed, and all hope will seem as if it's gone. And not only that, but Jeremiah tells them that captivity is going to last 70 years. But God reminds them that he hasn't forgotten about them. He will bring their children back and he will keep working out his story. And this is what brings together the idea of inspiration, okay? Did you know that the Bible is a single story? All right, it's not a single book, but it is a single story. 1,500 years, 66 books, 40 authors, one story. The Bible is a single unified story that leads to Jesus. The story of the Bible can be described as creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. Now see, we go all the way back to Genesis and God calls this man who at the time was named Abram. And he calls this man and he tells him that he's going to bless all nations through this one guy and his family. And Abram's family was the nation of Israel. And because they played so intricately into God's story, 
it was a really big deal when they went into captivity in Babylon, right? This wasn't supposed to happen. And so you can imagine what it must have felt like, that it must have felt as if all of God's promises were falling apart, and God needed them to know that he was still working. He was still working for their good and for his glory. And so when we look at verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, the problem is that if we claim them as our own, we will eventually hit a point in our lives that is difficult, right? Maybe your marriage is struggling, or, or maybe you're in a, a desperate financial situation. There could be a number of different scenarios, but I think all of us have been in a place where we've struggled, right? Okay, the rest of you are liars. We've all been in a place where we've struggled. Uh, Just because I'm doing most of the talking, you can still participate. It's okay. But see, the problem is we start to claim a verse like this as our own, and then we get into these places where we're struggling, and we're holding on to Jeremiah 29, 11, and then the marriage fails, and then you lose your job. And, and the problem now is that whatever it may be, now you're questioning the faithfulness of God and the reliability of Scripture. See, that's what we don't want for you. We want you to understand the Scripture so well that even when the storms in life hit, you recognize the reliability of the Scriptures. You recognize the hope of the Scriptures. You recognize that Jesus still meets you through the Scriptures. And see, this passage does have a principle for us to take away. We can be reminded that God has invited us into His story, and it's far bigger than any of us. It's a story that spans generations, and you can be reminded that as you press into a deeper relationship with God and continue to pursue Him even in the storms of life, that you are a part of His story. And he is working and using you to bring redemption for generations to come. The work you do has far more impact than the few years that you're going to spend here on earth. Because God has invited you into a bigger story. And that's what he's promising the people in Israel through Jeremiah 29, 11. God's not done yet. He hasn't abandoned them yet. And so it's key for us to remember as we're reading through the Scriptures that all of this is a unified story that points to Jesus. It's not about us. It's about Jesus, right? Jesus even claims that all things that were written about Him should be fulfilled. And it turns out that Jesus believed that the whole Old Testament was written about Him. That was Jesus' belief. Now, if we believe that, and we believe that, and we believe it how Jesus believes it, then suddenly the Bible should become far more interesting. See, even though uh, lots of people know that we should read the Bible, right? We know the importance of it. It's still the best-selling book year after year after year, and yet it spends so much time collecting dust on people's shelves. We know how important it is to read, but so many of us still don't read it. So it's not for a lack of knowing its importance, but I believe it's because we don't know how to read it. And I know that because what's keeping us from reading the Bible is that we don't find it interesting. 
right? We get confused or we get bored. But listen, I want you to know this. The Old Testament is not just a bunch of genealogies, right? It's not just a a story about God who is apparently way more angry than he ever gets in the New Testament, right? That's not what it is. It's a story about Jesus, and God breathed inspiration into godly men to write down the words of this story so that all the way here in Lemoore, we could be a part of this story and get the opportunity to bring it to others. Now, Paul keeps going in, his te- in this text in 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Word of God is God-breathed, but then let's finish uh, verse 16. He says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is, God- is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Okay, now, uh, how many of you here are familiar with Twilight? Okay. Uh, how- what about Harry Potter? I know some of you guys are like, am I allowed to? It's okay. You can admit it. I won't tell Ricky. I promise. Um, maybe, maybe a little bit older of a book series. How many of us are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia? Right? Okay. Now, um, now how many of you are, are, are familiar with somebody who is obsessed with one of those series? Right? Uh, you, you know the people I'm talking about. These are the people that they read the series multiple times. They complain about the movies, right? And then they find all these little details throughout the books, and they end up becoming like apologists for the series, right? They're, they're defending things all the time. Like, okay, in movie terms, these are the people who, when they hear somebody trying to quote Star Wars, and they say, Luke, I am your father, these are the people who are like, nope, 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 okay. No, see, okay, see, What had happened was (laughs) Luke was talking to Darth Vader, and he said, you killed my father. And Darth Vader said, no, I am your father. Sorry, that's a spoiler alert. I should have told you guys first. Maybe you haven't seen it yet. See, but they're like, no, he didn't say, Luke, I am your father. He said, no, I am your father. And it's like, okay, listen, we didn't actually care that much about the accuracy of the quote, right? Uh, It's just a movie. And I know I made some of you mad by saying that about Star Wars, but you'll be okay. It's fine. But see, we'll do this with these movies or, or books, but with the Bible, we just pick out these little passages that, that make us feel good or inspire us, right? But that's not what Paul says the Bible is for. It's for so much more than that. If we would actually dive into the story of the Bible and read it like some of us read these fictional series we would find that it's far more interesting and also far more powerful. Because since the Bible is the living word of God, it has the power to radically transform transform your life, your family, your community. Right? So see, let's, let's break down what Paul is saying about Scripture in this passage because it's actually really cool. He says that, that the Bible is good for four different things. One is teaching. Right? So the Bible teaches us who God is and who we are. It shows us a clear picture of reality. Because as it turns out, we're not really great at defining re- reality on our own. All right? So that's number one. Number two, he says it's good for reproof. It points out the things in our life that are wrong. Number three, it's good for correction. Once we see the wrong... It teaches us how to correct the wrong. 
And the number four is training. The Bible then walks us through training to become what we were always meant to be in God's perfect reality. All right, see, I read this like, like the Bible is some sort of like super futuristic smart mirror. And if you caught how interested I am in, in tech, if any of you can invent this, please let me know because I'd be down to have it in my house. But it's, it's like this super uh, futuristic smart mirror where like, see, when we leave the house in the morning, every one of us looks in the mirror before we leave, right? And if you say you don't, you're probably lying again in church because I'm just going to assume you were in the first category the first time we did that. But see, we all, we check the mirror, we see how we look, and then we take off, right? We got to make that look first. But do you know what I hate about my mirrors? None of them show me my cowlick, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like that little piece of hair that stands up on the back of your head and it's like sticking up straight, and I know all of you can see it, and I know you're talking about it. Um, yeah, so it, it doesn't show me that, and I'm like coming into church thinking like, oh man, I actually look pretty decent for once, and everybody here is like, wow, Seth clearly doesn't know how to take care of himself. But see, this is where the Bible's different than that, right? Just like a mirror, it shows you who you are, but it doesn't leave you there. Now, imagine that your mirror actually points out what's wrong with you, right? Like it draws attention to those stray hairs or that pimple that's coming in on the tip of your nose. Um, this doesn't sound that great. Is that what? Yep, that's what I wrote. Okay. Um, <laughs> see, the Bible takes it a step further, though, right? It addresses what's wrong, and then it works in correction. It teaches you how to address the issues that it's brought to light. It doesn't just leave you there. Now imagine if your mirror was like, hey, you know, if you implemented a regular skincare routine with these products, you wouldn't get those pimples on your nose anymore, right? Like, I, I don't know about you guys, I would buy that, right? I'd be like, okay, cool, this is actually how I fix these problems. But more than all of these things, okay, it's more than just a self-help book, right? It does more than just help you to be a better person. It provides training in righteousness. The Bible is a book about Jesus that actually helps the reader to become more like Jesus. It draws us into a closer relationship with Jesus and trains us in righteousness. And before I had told you that I believe that the Bible is the most interesting text in all of antiquity, and this is why. This is why I believe that other books are interesting. But there's nothing as life-changing as the Word of God. Not only is this book full of action and drama and love and excitement, but it will actively change your life as you read it. See, just last week we did some, some training for uh, our new small group leaders, and, and I cannot begin to express to you how excited I am about this uh, next step that we're moving into. But as these groups are, are preparing to launch out, we're going to start them sermon-based. So, every, so as, as one of our pastors comes up here and preaches from the Bible, as we do every week, these groups will gather together to dig through the text and work toward the life change that the Bible has the ability to bring. And this is important because the Bible is communal literature. 
It's going to be most effective when practiced as such. So keep doing your quiet time reading with God, right? But when you have a community to check in on your scripture memorization, do you realize how much better you're going to be at memorization? When you have a community that will call you out on your sin, it's so much easier to press into righteousness. And when you have a community who understands and reads about the sacrificial love of Jesus alongside you, I promise you, those will be the first responders in your life when tragedy strikes. And they will be the people who love like Jesus loves. And they will love with a deeper love because they have had their lives changed by the teaching, reproof, correction, and training of the Bible. But then Paul has another thought here in our text. All of this that the Bible has to offer, but but it's moving towards something. So 2 Timothy 3, verse 17. All of this exists, Paul says, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the first thing we've got to talk about here is this word complete, right? Some of your translations may say perfect, where in, in biblical terms, perfection is an idea of completeness, right? This, these are one and the same, that you would be complete for good works. And this is speaking to what exactly it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I, I love how David Guzik puts this. Uh, Guzik has a phenomenal commentary that's, that's easily, easily accessible. I highly recommend it to you. Uh, it's called Enduring Word. It has an app that you can download on your phone. You can go to EnduringWord.com. Uh, but this, I, I think, will bring uh, life to a lot of your own personal Bible studies. It's really good. But David Guzik, I want to read this quote from him on this. He says this, quote, Complete doesn't mean that the whole Christian life is about reading the Bible or that the only important thing in good ministry is Bible teaching. Complete means the Bible leads me into everything I need. If I will be both a hearer and doer of the word, I will be complete as a Christian, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This reminds us that we are not in the business of building sermon appreciation societies, but in equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So I don't ignore prayer or worship or evangelism or good works to a needy world because the Bible itself tells me to do such things. If I will be both a hearer and doer of the word, I will be complete, unquote. See, I love what Guzik says here because he's practicing healthy scripture reading and that he's reading it as a whole, right? He's recognizing that the Bible's not God. God is God, right? But the Bible is a good gift from God. It is the very words of God and should be revered for that. God is God, and he's given us the Bible to draw us closer to him. So having said that, Our understanding of this becomes more full when we understand how Jesus viewed and understood the Bible. See, Jesus clearly had a high view of Scripture. He quoted it frequently. And that's exactly why Pastor Ricky began this Bible memorization challenge that that we've been going through as a church. Because we want you to believe what Jesus believes about Scripture. And we want you to believe it how Jesus believes it. 
See, when the enemy came, Jesus immediately started quoting scripture. And this is important. The enemy actually quoted scripture back at him. See, we don't talk about this often. But the enemy quoted scripture back to Jesus. But see, here's what's important. Jesus had spent enough time growing up reading the Hebrew Bible that he knew the context. He knew the story. And he knew when the enemy was using scripture to lie to him by taking it out of context. And church, the enemy will try to do the exact same thing to you. And that's why we want you to know the scripture so well and why we're actively working to try to make better discipleship pathways that will lead to deeper understandings of the scripture. But there's a second side to Jesus' value of scripture. He clearly believes scripture well enough that he read it or more than likely had it read to him. He believed it well enough that he went into the synagogue and taught it to others. But Jesus didn't just hear the word, he did it. God himself is a doer of the word, and he's not just assigning us random tasks, but he's calling us to partner with him in his task. Now, I want to look at a Jesus story about how Jesus viewed scripture, and I've got to be honest with you, this is one of my favorite Jesus stories in the whole Bible. Uh, I think because it just makes Jesus look like such a boss, right? You'll, You'll see what I mean. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. This is toward the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it says, And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And, And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on Him. And He began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Like, come on, that's good, right? That's just a good Jesus story. And and so, this is one of my favorites because Jesus comes in, and right in the middle of church, he stands up, and he just so happens to get handed the scroll of Isaiah. And this is key. He knows the scroll of Isaiah so well that he goes to exactly the place that he wants to read about the coming Messiah. And then he goes and he sits down and says, oh, by the way, that's, that's me. Right? Like, you can't tell me that's not a good Jesus story. But see, there are some things I want you to notice in this story, okay? The first is what I had mentioned before. Jesus knew his Old Testament. He knew it so well that he happened to be given the scroll of Isaiah, which means he was given the whole book with no chapters and no verses. Right? And if you don't know your book of Isaiah, there's 66 chapters in there. It's not a short book, right? No chapters, no verses. He knew it so well that he knew how to find exactly what he was looking for. Jesus knew his scripture. And I also want to point out that as the Spirit of God came upon Jesus, he says that he would preach the good news. That's, that's the gospel, right? He would teach the story of the Bible. But Jesus keeps reading 
And he says he will proclaim liberty. He will heal the blind. He will set free the oppressed. He will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And church, I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear it well. Jesus himself believed in a holistic belief in Scripture, and he meant He believed that that meant to be both a hearer and a doer of the word. If you are going to be a Jesus follower, it means that you read the word in such a way that it convicts you. When we as a church see those who have yet to hear the good news, we should be reading our Bible so much that God is in prime position to convict our hearts to share the gospel. When we see those who are trapped in the bondage of sin, we tell them about the one who can bring liberty. When we see those who are physically hurt, we should be so much in the word that God can easily convict us to step in and do our part to bring healing. And when we see people oppressed, we should be so deeply rooted in scripture that God convicts us to set the oppressed at liberty. Your reading the Bible must change your life if you are a true follower of Jesus. That's what Jesus believed about the Bible. That's how Jesus believed the Bible. So I want to bring this back to the realm of of practicality as we begin to pull this over. I'm going to pull again from David Guzik. He writes about how some of us believe in the inspiration of the Bible in principle, but we deny it in practice. Or in other words, we say that we believe that the Bible is God-breathed, but we've given no one a reason to believe us when we say that. And so he's going to give us three ways that that we deny that the Bible is inspired by God in practice. But I want to flip those for you and give us three applications to take away from this on how to read our scriptures and how to experience this life change. See, Guzik says that, number one, the first way that we deny this by, by our practice is we do this by imposing our own meaning on the text instead of letting it speak for itself. And then, so how do we fix this? We flip it by, before you read scripture, pray. Ask God to reveal his word to you. Study in community and hear how God is speaking to others. The second way he says that we deny this in practice is we do this by putting more of ourself into the message than what God says. So how do we change this? When we read scripture, ask how it points to Jesus. If the Bible is a unified story about Jesus, then how is it pointing to him? And the third way that Guzik says that we deny that the Bible is inspired in practice is we do this by being more interested in our opinions when we preach than in explaining and proclaiming what God has said. So how do we change this? We stop arguing and we start preaching the gospel in word and deed as the complete man or woman of God would. See, my heart, and I know the heart of all of our staff, is that you would believe what Jesus believes. And you would believe what Jesus believes about Scripture and you would believe it how Jesus believes it. Our heart is that you would each be everyday theologians. The Bible is one unified story about Jesus. It's an exciting story. And our heart is that you would fall in love with Scripture and you would see how Jesus is so evident throughout the Scripture. 
All of these moments leading to a single moment, a climax, something that we call the crux of the moment, the crux of the story, literally coming from the word, the cross. It all points to Jesus and his sacrificial love for us on the cross. And this morning, we're going to step into a time of communion to reflect on this moment that all of Scripture is pointing to. And with this on our hearts and minds, I want to take a moment to pray for you, and then we're going to have Pastor Ricky come up and lead us in this moment. So let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you love us enough, God, to pursue us and to leave us with something that can draw us closer to you. That even in our rebellion, even in uh, our, our selfishness, even in our pride, that you would constantly pursue us. God, we pray over this church this morning that we would be a Bible-believing church in a way that doesn't simply mean that we believe all the doctrines, but goes beyond that, to say that we believe the, so, the word so much that we are convicted, our lives are changed, we are acting like the church. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And may our focus be so affixed to you, Jesus, that you are constantly transforming our lives. May we remember what love means. May we remember the cross and the sacrifice you paid for us. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. And it's in your name.